Hi. My name's Trent, if you don't know me. I'm a regular here at Chatswood, and as you've been forewarned, uh, this is my first time preaching in church. <laughs> so we really should pray. <laughs> um, please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for your word. Please help us as we read it now in the book of Hebrews to understand what you're saying. I pray for myself specifically that I'd explain your word in an accurate and clear way. And please help us to respond appropriately to your word, that you would be glorified. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We all make stupid decisions, don't we? Stupid choices. All the time. And most of the time, they're pretty harmless. Have you uh, scratched a scab and then bled everywhere? Yeah. Uh, left tissues in your pants and then washed them? Stupid. Put your mobile phone on the toilet and then watched it fall into the bowl? Have you done that? Have you tried to... No? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. Uh, have you tried to dry your underwear in the oven? No. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, we all make stupid decisions, um, and they're mostly harmless. But sometimes st stupid decisions are not so harmless. They're deadly. A while ago, I lived in the country, and one, one night, one of, uh, some of my mates and I stayed at another mate's house. I'll call him Tom. So we were staying at Tom's. And Tom's house was a fair way out of town. And one of our other mates didn't have a car, but wanted to join us, so we drove back to town to pick him up. Okay, so, so we drove back to our mate's house to pick him up. And when we got there, we all got out of the car, you know, happy to see him. But he wasn't there. And we were pretty annoyed. We drove all the way back into town to pick him up and he'd piked. So as we were walking back to the car to drive back to Tom's house, Tom says, where are my keys? What did he do? Well, stupid decision number one, Tom locked his keys in the car. So what did we do? Possibly the stupidest thing to do. It was 11.30pm, it was pitch black and we were very far away from Tom's house but we decided to walk there. Stupid decision number two, walk home in the pitch black in the bush. So we walked and walked and walked and walked and two hours later, 2.30 a.m. and we weren't anywhere near Tom's house. But suddenly from behind us came two beams of light. It was a car and it slowed down and pulled over. So one of my mates walked up to it and ask the guy for a lift. Stupid decision number three, take a lift from a stranger. But it gets worse. The car was a ute, so there were only two seats, and there were four of us. Stupid decision number four, three of us rode in the back of the ute. But we had a lift, and we wanted to get home, and from what I could tell, the guy seemed all right, and there was plenty of us guys, he just had to drive straight down this road for a little while and we'll get to Tom's house. It was going to be all right. But just as I started to relax, the guy floored it. He revved the ute as hard as it would rev. And I freaked out. I thought I was going to die. It was not only driving at 120 kilometers an hour, I could see through the cabin window. What was worse, we were on a road that had a speed bump right in the middle, a really big one, and we were heading straight forward. I was freaking out. Fortunately, 
He slowed down just in time. And we all made it back to Tom's house alive. And before he went, the guy driving the car got out to say goodbye. It was then I realised he was blind drunk. Stupid decisions. We all make them. Sometimes they're harmless, but sometimes they're deadly. You know, as Christians, we're faced with a decision every day. I am, you are, and the Christians in the book of Hebrews were faced with it too. It's the stupidest decision we could make. It's also the deadliest. Okay, so last time we looked at the book of Hebrews was a couple of weeks ago, so let me remind you what we were up to. The Christians who Hebrews is written to were having a rough time. They were facing hardship. They were being persecuted because they were Christians. So that's where we got up to. So how should they respond to the persecution? Should they fight back? No. They should make every effort to live in peace with the people around them. But of course, that shouldn't mean these Christians should become just like the people around them. No, they have to remain different. Uh, They have to remain distinct. In other words, they have to be holy. Please come with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. You can find it on page 853 of the small print Bible or 800, oh, sorry, 1877 of the large print Bible. Please open it with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. They have to live in peace with the people around them, but they have to remain holy. Why? so they make it to heaven. That's why they're Christians, so they can see God. Have a look with me at the second part of verse 14. I see there after the semicolon there. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And they must be clear on this. Now, this is really important. If they aren't holy now, in this life, they won't see God. Easy, right? Yeah, unfortunately, no. Sadly, these Christians are about to make the stupidest of all stupid decisions. They're about to give up seeing God. There are people amongst these Christians who are a bad influence. The writer calls these people bitter roots. They are defiling them. They're telling the Christians to give up seeing God, to miss out on God's grace. Uh, Look with me at verse 15. Verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitter root's a weird word, isn't it? It sounds like something you could buy at an Asian supermarket. (laughs) It's not. It's not talking about turnips or anything like that. Why the word bitter root? Well, it's a metaphor. It's picture language. Imagine for me, a big tree. Imagine a big strong tree with lots of deep roots holding the tree up. Imagine now if one of those roots of the tree were to go bitter or rot and die. Now imagine the rot spreading from one root to another, spreading until all of the roots are dead. What happens to the tree? 
There's no more roots. <laughs> but that's what it does, it topples. These people are a bad influence and they're dangerous. They could cause lots of these Christians to give up seeing God. And what would they give up seeing God for? What would they trade it for? Sexual immorality. In the town I grew up in, there's a radio station that that runs a radio program called Swap Shop. Swap Shop. Now, what happens on this program? It's pretty cool. People ring up to trade things, and you can make some really good trades. And when I visited my folks one time, my dad was very excited because that day, he'd been on Swap Shop. (laughs) Dad had been trying to find an obscure piece of machinery. He couldn't find it anywhere, but it just so happened that that day, someone called Swap Shop to trade that exact thing. So Dad, very excited, rang up and offered his chooks. It just so happened that the other person wanted chooks, so they made the trade. And Dad made a really good trade. It was a a no-brainer, it was such a good decision. And Dad couldn't have been more happy. He loved it. Well, these Christians are about to make a trade but it's not a good one. They're about to trade seeing God for sexual immorality. They're about to trade their inheritance for for a a bit of pleasure. Their inheritance for something short-term. It's not worth trading that in. It might be pleasurable for a little while, it might just scratch that itch, but once they get caught in it, it's unlikely they'll come back. They'll be like Esau. Esau traded his inheritance for pleasure, for something short-term. Remember Esau? We we saw it in the first reading. Esau was the oldest son of Isaac and older brother of Jacob. And as the oldest son, Esau was to inherit all Isaac's stuff when he died. And most importantly, he would inherit the promises of God, passed down from Isaac's father, Abraham. Promises about having lots of descendants, and having a special land, and blessing the world. Uh, Esau's inheritance was a really good thing. But what did he do? Well, as we saw, one day Esau was hungry. He was, he was starving, starving, starving. So he traded his inheritance for a bowl of soup. That's right. He gave all of his father's possessions, all of the promises of God, away for a bowl of lentil soup, for beans. Man, I I like beans, I do, but that's ridiculous. It's so stupid. Yet these Christians are about to do the same thing. They're about to trade seeing God, their inheritance, for sexual immorality. They're about to make the stupidest of all stupid decisions. But the writer says, don't. Don't do it. Don't trade it. Don't be sexually immoral. Don't be like Esau. Please read with me. Verse 16. Verse 16. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest brother. Do you know the worst thing about Esau? The worst thing about trading his inheritance for a bowl of soup There was no chance to redo. There was no undo button. Esau couldn't regurgitate the soup. 
for his inheritance. When Esau finally realized what he had done and realized that he wanted to inherit the blessing, he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't change his father's mind. He couldn't plead with his brother. He couldn't ask God. All that was left for him to do was cry. Please read with me. Verse 17. Verse 17. Afterward, as you know, when Esau wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Just like Esau couldn't get back his inheritance, if these Christians decide to trade seeing God for sexual immorality, that's it. If they aren't holy, there is no way they can see God. There is no alternative to Jesus and his forgiveness. Like Esau, the only thing they'll be able to do is cry and mourn because they will be excluded from God's presence. One stupid decision can have big, lasting consequences. So as a summary, they're about to make the stupidest of all stupid decisions. They're going to trade seeing God for sexual immorality. But it's not worth it. They can't get back what they're giving up. So now the writer wants to encourage them. He wants them to understand exactly what it means for them to see God because they may not really understand. You see, coming from a Jewish background, they knew about seeing God from the Old Testament. But back then, seeing God was scary. You had to keep your distance. But it's not the same for Christians to see God. Seeing God as Christians is totally different to seeing God as Israel. To demonstrate this, he puts the two side by side. Seeing God as Israel to seeing God as Christians. And it's clear which is better. So to explain seeing God as Israel, the writer uses the story of Israel before God at Mount Sinai. If you can't remember or don't know what happened, let me fill you in. Okay, so so in the book of Exodus... God saved Israel from Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai to see him. He was to be their God and they were to be God's holy people. But when Israel came to see God, Mount Sinai erupted with fire. It became surrounded by darkness and gloom and a storm and a trumpet was blasting in Israel's ears. It was scary. Then God said Israel couldn't come up the mountain and see him. They had to look from a distance. If even an animal touched Mount Sinai, it had to be stoned to death. That was so scary. And even Moses was scared. Please read with me from verse 18. Verse 18. The writer says to these Christians, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. To see God as Israel was really scary. It was really scary. And they had to keep their distance. 
But what these Christians have is totally different. They can see God without being scared. In fact, they can walk right up to Him, no worries at all. As Christians, they've come to see God not on Mount Sinai like Moses, but they've come to see God on Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. And He's surrounded by joyful angels and the church which Jesus has made perfect as the mediator of the new covenant. Please look at me, uh, look with me from verse 22. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The dangerous fire, the murky gloom, and the terrifying storm are nowhere to be seen. Instead of scary things, we find joyful angels. Instead of seeing God from a distance, they have come to God, to His presence. And this is what they'll get if they're holy. They will see the God of the universe face to face. Why wouldn't they want to be holy? How could they make such a stupid decision? Maybe they don't care. Or maybe it's too hard. Well, the writer has a warning. They're about to make a stupid decision, but it's not harmless. It's not like leaving tissues in your pockets before washing them. It's not even like karate chopping a wasp's nest. No, it's a deadly stupid decision. They need to understand they won't escape God, just like Israel didn't escape God. See, God told Israel from Mount Sinai to be holy. And in a similar way, God has told these Christians to be holy. When Israel decided they didn't want to be holy, they died in the desert. None of them escaped. Likewise, these Christians won't escape if they're not holy. Why? God is going to shake the universe. He's going to judge all creation and only God's holy people will be safe with Him, unshaken. Read with me from verse 25. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse Him who speaks. If Israel did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, God's voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. If they make the stupid decision to give up seeing God, well, they won't escape. So how should they respond? Well, they should be grateful and thankful. They're going to see God and enter His kingdom. They should worship their holy God. 
They should be holy. God deserves it. Verse 28. Verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And that's where our passage finishes. These Christians are about to make the stupidest decision and it has deadly consequences. It's not worth it. They need to understand what it means to see God and be thankful. Okay. So we're a lot like the Christians in the book of Hebrews. Every day we face a decision to give up seeing God don't we? It's a stupid decision, but there's lots of reasons we could make it. There are are lots of things that could make us give it up, aren't there? Um, Money, chasing after career, Uh, we could bury ourselves in schoolwork or in alcohol, there's stacks of stuff. How about we look at the specific one from our passage tonight? Sexual immorality. Our society is obsessed with sex, isn't it? It's everywhere. It's hard to go for a, for a day without seeing it somewhere. You know, in, the, in the morning, you walk past a news agent. Whoa! There's naked people! In full view, everywhere. There's walls and walls of this stuff. And it's not just women, it's men as well. And it's hard, isn't it? It's, it's right there. You're walking right past it. Or you get to work. And there's that pretty girl in the short skirt. Always hangs around you, smiles at you, wants to get to know you in a more than friends kind of way. Or there's that guy. You know, that guy. who's so kind and nice and and is interested in you and he's so charming and you just feel comfortable around him. Maybe you want to keep him interested. Or you go to high school, there you're treated like you're already having sex or or you're just about to start. You don't get taught to think about when and, and with whom you have sex. You're taught how to avoid sexually transmitted Infections, which you can only get if you sleep with more than one person. And you may not be doing that stuff, but it's happening around you. The stats show that something like 50% of Year 12 kids have had sex. Do you know that? 50%. And it's little wonder why our society is obsessed with sex. You get home, turn on the TV. Harry's married, but he's sleeping with Sally who's already slept with Jim, Tim is sleeping with Jane and Alice, though neither know what's going on. And this isn't the soapies, this is the news. (laughs) And any TV show these days, people are sleeping around, medical shows, sci-fi, crime investigation, anything. It's normal. TV is telling us, you know, go with it, go for it. Like the Christians in the book of Hebrews, we're being tempted by our society a bad influence. We're being tempted to to give up seeing God for sexual immorality. 
It's all around us, all the time. That's hard. So how do we respond? What can we do? Well, what I want to do now is spend a little bit of time uh, just thinking about what sexual immorality is and then how we can deal with it. So so first, we have to realise that sexual immorality, uh, there are two major types of sexual immorality. Now, first is is sexual fantasising and the second is sexual activity out of marriage. So sexual fantasy is intentionally arousing yourself by thinking about someone or or looking at someone, either in real life uh, or with porn on the internet or or magazines or or anything else. That's sexual fantasy. And sexual activity out of marriage includes not just sex itself, but anything that seeks to arouse someone who isn't your husband or wife. Sexual fantasy and sex out of marriage. So what should we do? Well, as Christians, remember, we're called to be holy. So if you're doing anything that I've just mentioned, you need to stop. You need to make a decision right now to put an end to the things you have been doing. You need to ask God to forgive you and know that he will. Then you need to make sure that you don't do it again. If you need, if you need help, you know, talk to, to Jeff or, or Warren or, or Carmi or Beth or your CPIG leader, a trusted Christian friend. Talk to someone if you need help. You need to stop it. This is no small issue. And it's not about being holy just for the sake of being holy. Friend, remember, the reason you should be holy is so you can see God. So you can get to heaven. You're almost there. It's not worth trading that in. Whatever pleasure you get from sexual immorality, it's short term. It's like trading lentils for an inheritance. It's a stupid decision. It's not worth it. Remember, there's no redo. There's no undo button. Once you allow yourself to get caught in it and let go of Jesus, you forfeit seeing God. On that final day, when the whole of creation is shaken to its very core, he's not going to change his mind. It won't matter how much you cry. So, friend, don't make the stupidest of all stupid decisions. Be holy. You'll see God. You'll be with him face to face for all eternity. Let's pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, thank you that we will see you. When we die, when Jesus returns, we'll be with you forever. Please help us not to make the stupidest of all stupid decisions and give that up. Please help us to be holy and avoid sexual immorality and and anything else that is tempting us to trade that in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.